and welcome to What's the Story Ghost. I'm your host, Annette. And I'm Stephen. And today we are on episode 51, Stephen. Oh, is that how condescending I sound when I say this? Oh no, I thought you were being quirky and I was being <laughs> quirky. Today we are going to Egypt. Look like an Egyptian. Okay, so just in advance, there are some names in this that I will probably mispronounce. There's definitely some areas that I might mispronounce, so I do apologize. You, you pronounced Egypt wrong. What did I say? You said, Stephen, you're in Egypt. Yeah, I did, didn't I? If if there is a proper way, if anyone knows the proper way to pronounce the names that I get wrong, feel free to DM us on Instagram. Uh, we crack on? Crack on. Death shall come on swift wings to he who disturbs the peace of a king. Fairly explanatory, right? We teach our children this rule, not yours, don't touch. You would think that on reading this, one would skedaddle on out of wherever one was when one read this. But that's not what happened here. Otherwise, this would be a very boring story. You don't see Indiana Jones rocking up to the Temple of Doom, seeing a do not enter sign and saying, "Uh, yeah, sure, no bother. No, that would be the sensible thing to do. Today we're heading to the year 1922, and Egypt is doing what Egypt does best, burning a hole in your soul with a relentless heat and hiding secrets hoping no one will find them. Howard Carter finds himself, still, seven years after he started his search, empty-handed and frustrated. But how did he get there? Howard was born in Kensington in 1874, the youngest of eleven to Samuel and Martha. He spent most of his youth with relatives in Norfolk, where both his parents were from. He received a limited formal education there, but Howard showed a keen interest in art from a young age. The nearby mansion of the Amherst family contained a sizeable collection of Egyptian antiques, and here began Howard's interest. Lady Amherst was impressed by his artistic skills and in 1891 she prompted the Egyptian Exploration Fund to send Howard to assist an Amherst family friend, Percy Newbury, in the excavation and recording of the Middle Kingdom tombs at Beni Hassan. I was surprised to read up on Howard's history, because he was not just there to find treasures and adorn his home in England with his findings and could tell all the tales to his well-to-do friends of his adventures in Egypt. In fact, he was praised for his improvements in the protection of and accessibility to existing excavation sites and his development of a grid block system for searching for tombs. He genuinely cared for what he did. But he resigned from the Antiquity Service in 1905 after a formal inquiry into a violent confrontation between Egyptian site guards and a group of French tourists. Carter sided with the Egyptian personnel, refusing to apologise when the French authorities made an official complaint. He moved to Luxor, and for three years he got by painting and selling watercolours to tourists. Then in 1907, he began work for Lord George Carnarvon, who employed him to supervise the excavation of nobles' tombs in Deir el-Bahri, near Thebes. Lord Carnarvon, or we'll just call him George from here on, was granted the concession to dig in the Valley of the Kings in 1914. The expedition was led by Carter, who searched for any tombs missed by previous expeditions, such as Tutankhamun's. However, excavations were soon interrupted by the First World War. Howard spent these years working for the British government as a diplomatic courier and translator. 
I think I can go so far as to say he was more than enthusiastic to resume his excavation work towards the end of 1917. But by 1922, George had become disappointed with the lack of results and was considering withdrawing his funding. But after a passionate discussion with Howard, George considered funding one more season of work in the Valley of Kings. Howard quickly returned to the Valley of the Kings and investigated a line of huts that he had abandoned a few seasons earlier. The crew cleared the huts and rocked debris beneath. Then on November 4th, 1922, their young water boy accidentally fell when he stumbled on what he thought was a large stone, but turned out to be the top of a flight of steps cut into the bedrock. Howard partially excavated the steps until he discovered a mud-plastered doorway the doorway was stamped with indistinct cartouches, oval seals with hieroglyphic writing. Howard ordered a staircase to be refilled to keep it safe and sent a telegram to George, who arrived from England two and a half weeks later with his daughter, Lady Evelyn Herbert. No time was wasted. The very next day, the staircase was cleared again and a seal containing Tutankhamun's cartouche was found on the outer doorway. This doorway was removed and the corridor behind cleared, revealing the door to the tomb itself. I can't even begin to imagine the extent of everyone's excitement at this point. Two days later, November 26th, Howard made a tiny breach in the top left-hand corner of the doorway using a chisel that his grandmother gave him for his 17th birthday. Putting a candle to the hole and peering in, George impatiently asked, Can you see anything? Howard, sounding dumbfounded, replied, Yes, wonderful things. He had, in fact, found Tutankhamun's tomb. Now the tomb was secured again, and they were to wait for an official of the Egyptian Department of Antiquities to be present before they could officially enter. But hell, who can wait a day? Howard, George and Lady Evelyn apparently made an unauthorised visit, becoming the first people to enter the tomb in over 3,000 years. The next morning, the official inspection of the tomb was done, where they found gilded couches, chests, thrones and shrines. In spite of evidence of break-ins in ancient times, the tomb was virtually intact and would ultimately be found to contain over 5,000 items. These were items that Tutankhamun would take with him to rule in the afterlife. This area alone took quite some time to catalogue and store, but then on February 19th, Howard was finally able to open the sealed doorway and confirm it led to the burial chamber containing the sarcophagus of Tutankhamun. Known as the Boy King, Tutankhamun reigned from 1333 to 1323 BCE, coming to rule when he was less than 10 years old. Though an unexpected early death at 19 cut his reign short, the discovery of his remarkably intact tomb thousands of years later made him better known than most of the pharaohs who came before or after. This should have been a great moment for them, and it was. But from there on, people started dropping, and some were under very mysterious circumstances. What was news to me, as I was already familiar with this story, the first victim wasn't human at all. On returning home after helping to open the sarcophagus, James Henry Breasted's lovely canary was found, hanging from the mouth of a huge cobra. The cobra, which represents ancient Egyptian pharaohs, 
was coiled up inside the canary's bird cage. Next was Lord George Carnarvon, who without his financial backing, Tutankhamun's tomb might still be lost. Only a few months after the tomb was opened, he accidentally nicked a mosquito bite while shaving, contracted blood poisoning, and died. Legend has it that on the night he died, all of the lights in his house, or some say in all of Cairo, went out. Howard Carter, well he was fine. He lived to be 64, which isn't an old age by any stretch, but he had one of the most normal deaths. But he gave a paperweight to his friend Bruce Ingham as a gift. The paperweight consisted of a mummified hand wearing a bracelet that was supposedly inscribed with the phrase, Cursed be who moves my body. Ingham did not die from the mummy's curse, but it is thought that his saving grace was that he threw the artifact away, but not before his house burned to the ground, and when he tried to rebuild, his home was hit with a flood. Shortly after his visit to the tomb, Prince Ali Kamel Vami Bey of Egypt died on July 10th, 1923, when he was shot dead by his wife, Marguerite Alibert. Sir Lee Stack, Governor General of Sudan, was one of the first people to visit the tomb of Tutankhamun. He was assassinated while driving through Cairo on November 19, 1924. A.C. Mace, a member of the excavation team, died in 1928 from arsenic poison. George J. Gould, a wealthy American financier and railroad executive, visited the tomb in 1923. He died in the French Riviera on May 16, 1923, after he developed a fever immediately following his visit to the tomb and died a few months later from pneumonia. Hugh Evelyn White, a British archaeologist, visited Tutankhamun's tomb and he may have helped excavate the site. After seeing death sweep over about two dozen of his colleagues by 1924, Evelyn White died by suicide, but not before writing allegedly in his own blood, I have succumbed to a curse which forces me to despair. American Egyptologist Aaron Ember was friends with many of the people who were present when the tomb was opened, including George. Ember died in 1926 when his house in Baltimore burned down, less than an hour after he and his wife hosted a dinner party. He could have exited safely, but his wife encouraged him to save a manuscript he had been working on while she fetched their son. Sadly, they and the family's maid died in the catastrophe. Now, this is tragic, but on reading this, I thought surely that's a stretch at best, until I read the name of Ember's manuscript, The Egyptian Book of the Dead. Sir Archibald Douglas Reed, a radiologist, merely x-rayed Tutankhamun before his mummy was given to the museum's authorities. He got sick the next day and was dead three days later. Captain the Honourable Richard Bethel, Carter's personal secretary, died November 15, 1929, the victim of a suspected smothering at an elite London gentleman's club. I guess in the grand scheme of things, all of these events can be explained by the natural progression of life. We're born, we live, we die. Sometimes it's natural causes, sometimes it's not. But when it's not, one can't help but get carried away with notions of curses and pharaohs. Especially when the rights to the story were only given to one paper, and the rest had to make it up as they went along. And when people close to the dig started to die in odd circumstances, the newspapers ran with the story. 
It's also said that George himself started the little rumour of the inscription on the inside of the tomb to ward off looters to keep the tomb safe. But like I said at the beginning, running away would be the sensible thing to do. But what kind of adventure would that be? The one adventure that would be would be the staying alive adventure. (laughs) That, Um, That would be brought to you by the Bee Gees. Stop. There's so much about that story I had to leave out because I it like I could I had to just stick with the ghost part of it, but oh my god that blew my mind. Like I can I I remember like first time I ever saw the pyramids of Giza. They're like a stone throw away from a main road. They're not out in the desert like I thought they were. They're right beside this big bustly city, and I'm like oh my god yeah I suppose they weren't always going to stay that way forever. Plus I also learned today watching a load of documentaries for this particular episode because I wanted to try and see what was fact and what was fiction they used a particular type of mineral stone with some sand they sanded it down till it was not just smooth it glimmered it was shiny so the original colors when the Egyptian pyramids were first built was just pure white and mm. um, yeah that was such a fascinating story to read about I'm not 100% sure how I feel about the curses part I don't, I don't feel great about it I don't believe in coincidences. I think things happen mm. because things happen. I don't think it's... Well, now I'm fair I started scribbling now because I thought you were going to list five or things and I was like, all right, what did the first guy do? Snake. Ah, that's just unfortunate because... What did he... A canary? It was a canary. canary. Canaries are tasty. Snakes like snakes likes canaries. That's fine. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, then your man cut his face shaving. Yeah. In ye old times, uh, stainless steel was either... It's too expensive or hard to get it or hadn't been commercialised. It might not even be invented yet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, because of that, you have rusty material and it's yeah. much easier to catch uh, blue poison. So it was quite frequent. Now, this man was from money, so I don't think he wouldn't have had but a if decent he was, shaving set. Yes. Having said that, he might have been from money. He might have had a decent shaving set, but he might have been out in the sticks. Mm. And he might have been able to take care of it as well. And because... The heat of Egypt. Yeah. And, yeah. Because that he was from a while to do and he wouldn't have to do He might have had people to clean his own shave and stuff normally. And he didn't know to look out for that. And then he killed himself. Uh, but then you listed the 400 other people. To <laughs> and I was like, nah. well, What I will tell you about... I, I changed his name to George because uh, I was so afraid that I'd get his surname wrong so many times. But well, you didn't change his name. You just It is his name. I yeah. just... I feel so weird calling a lord by their first name. Like, he, yeah. he's dead. He's not going to get mad at me. But I still think it's not disrespectful. I just feel uncomfortable doing mm. it. What I would say about him, he had a compromised immune system all his life and his, one of his doctors told him a couple of months beforehand he was like listen dude you really got to look after yourself one more really bad bout of pneumonia will kill you so I think being where he was in the heat and yeah. mosquitoes and all this kind of stuff one little nick it's so easy for like I mean back in the day they wouldn't have had treatments like what we have now so blood poisoning seemed to have taken I think two different people or three different people. I don't think I mentioned them all, but it took about three different people. It's it's stuff like that where I'm kind of like mm, it's not coincidental. It just sucks that they died, but it is from a very legitimate reason. But then there's other people that one guy took his own life. He jumped out a window, um, because he was just driven absolutely demented by it. And I think that's that where was, that's the how we committed suicide. He jumped out the window. I think it was like the seventh story or the ninth yeah. story. Or something I can like understand that. that. Like you'd be going mad, and you'd be like, if you believe, especially if you were anyway superstitious, and you believed in the curse. Mm. You're like everybody's dropping around. I'm in the queue. I don't know when I'm in the queue. So the best thing I can do, because if you're driving yourself mad, 
Every if you day, thought it was like Final Destination uh, yeah. and death was coming. Come on, yeah. yeah. You, you didn't know when. You didn't know how. You didn't know what was going to be the next time you shaved. You didn't know if it was going to be the gone off ham in the fridge because, mm-hmm. you know, or like you didn't know you'd be, you'd be eaten by a snake in your cage. You, you, <laughs> you just didn't know. So it's like the only thing you can control is, is when, as long as he does it before the curse gets him. Yeah. So he's like, no, do you know what? I win. And I can't imagine there what it's like. There are no winners. For, no, exactly. I can't imagine what it's like for someone's mind to just drive itself to that. The There is a lot of... Not a whole lot has changed. Newspapers will literally... Like, newspapers are great kindling. It will it will throw itself on the fire if it means it can fan the flames. Mm. And the newspapers did themselves no favours. They gave the rights... I didn't find out what newspaper it was. It was probably one of the big, big ones. But George gave the rights to one of the newspapers because they paid an absolute goddamn fortune as soon as they found out someone had found a tomb in the Valley of the Kings. And the rest of the newspapers were just literally picking up the scrapes. And they were yeah. usually delivering... I think back then, newspapers had like different like day editions or different time mm, of day editions. Possibly, yeah. So they were just picking up the scrapes that were left behind from the big newspaper. And like I was saying, George kind of, you know, oh, it's a, it's a haunted. We found a, an inscription here on the sarcophagus which sometimes there were there were inscriptions on the sarcophagus but nine times out of ten when they're buried three thousand years ago it was of the assumption that people were going to break in and take the pharaoh's things that he was supposed to bring with him to the afterlife so a lot of the time it was stood to ward off looters even back then and not a whole lot has changed because obviously if you can get your hands on something from the tomb i read afterwards and i thought it was really really bad form howard had when he passed away they did a search of his home. He had 18, not three, not four. You could maybe get away with four or a five finger discount. He had 18 stolen objects from the tomb in his house. Of Tutankhamun? Of Tutankhamun's tomb. Any idea what the things were? No, but they were things that I suppose you wouldn't want to sell them on. So it's not even as if he'd have to find out what they were worth. They just meant something to him. Uh, which I'm not making out that that was okay. I still think it's wrong. Um, I actually don't like the fact that there's tourists walking around Pompeii right now. I think that's the kind of thing that we need to have preserved and only archaeologists go in and like document it that way and make 3D duplicates like in Legoland. I don't care. I'm so afraid that all of these beautiful historical things that we have are going to get ruined because of people. There was concern What's the point over of having a beautiful heart. heart historical thing no you're dead right but not when I I think it should be managed in such a way that you know only a hundred people get to walk through like the small section I don't know what Pompeii is like I'm just imagining Pompeii's uh, pretty big so you know maybe a hundred people might be a small amount but it's crowd controlled in such a way Mm. that it's an it's a near minimal or zero um impact on the site yeah, but like there's there's nothing paranormal that I'm aware of in Pompeii. So this is like I suppose the unintentional rabbit hole that I fell down this week. Um, in Pompeii, there's still grooves from the cartwheels. Now, please don't picture people doing cartwheels. I'm saying the actual I wasn't wagon no, wheels. No, now I'm hungry. Um, oh, but there are striations in the road in the rock. I know it's a very fancy word, isn't it? Oh wow! <laughs> there's there's grooves on. Um, so say for instance you're coming down this road and the archaeologist was able to tell what direction the wheel was going when it brushed off this stone and he went around the whole of Pompeii and mapped it on his tablet and he was able to come up with um, like a, a virtual 
traffic route that they had and they found out that Pompeii was all made up of one-way streets. Now, we keep letting people in and people are, you know, you know, sitting on it or brushing up against yeah. it. We're never going to find out everything that we can possibly find out because it could just get completely destroyed. Yeah. I know uh, from going to the, I want to say the Wahidimo Caves, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. It is, I seen Batu Caves the other day and that's in my mind. In Ireland. Oh. Claire. Cavan. Is it Cavan? I think I've been. They do a show and then they turn off the lights when you're in there and they get everybody to scream to show you what it was like when the Vikings invaded or something like mm. that. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, oh, I could be wrong. If anyone, well, we've loads of listeners in Ireland. Just, if anyone knows where it is, tell well, us. I remember going on a girl trip and we were on our way and like the, your man said over and over again, takes hundreds of years for these things. And they're only a couple of inches long mm. hanging out. Like, you cannot touch them. No. You cannot break them. And there'd be and, some fucker who'd break it to take it home. Somebody, like, I'm sure there was somebody in my group or the group. Of, I'm like, oh, and you're like, don't ah, be that guy. So I can understand your trepidation. My issue is it's not open like Pompeii where breathing isn't a problem. Now, the reason I bring this up is... Tutankhamun died so quickly. Right, so basically, so he was in a three-part coffin. Right. It's like Russian dolls. So oh, yeah. he's 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 wrapped up like a mummy, um, and then he has his death mask put on. But the halo, or what, what's the best way to, you know, mm-hmm. the, the big tall piece that goes over their head? That part is actually made separate from the face part. And his face part doesn't match his face because it has ear piercings, which men never had depicted in 3D face masks at all, ever. Even if they did have their ears pierced, their face masks would never actually have the ear piercing. And it turns out that he actually ended up in a tomb made for somebody else. When you walk into any of the pyramids and you go looking for a burial tomb, it's always left for male and right for female. But when you go into Tutankhamun's tomb, you go in and it's right. So through all these little bits that they found on the walls, and this is what I'm saying, when there's too many people going in, all the stuff gets lost before yeah. we figure it out. He was buried in a tomb meant for somebody else. A lady tomb? A lady. Uh, I, I'm not going to pronounce her name because I'll end up saying from the mummy, and it's obviously not her. <laughs> they they found this out purely because there was stuff like the, the, the writings on the wall, and, and um, oh, not for the life of me, can I remember the, the big statue that's usually... Sphinx? No, not the Sphinx. I can't remember the statue. The it's usually no. <laughs> it's um, it's a statue of the god of death. I could be wrong. No, I'm, um, I'm sticking with Spire. But there was something wrong with him, and they were just kind of like, none of this is adding up. But hang on a second, like he had a very short reign, but he was he was 19th dynasty. He was super famous. Why did he have basically a filing cabinet size chamber? Yeah, there was a whole lot of things about his burial that didn't make sense to them. His heart wasn't there. That's not an organ from a pharaoh that they would ever take out. And it turns out that he must have been in like a horse and cart accident or what are they called? The chariots? Yeah. He must have been in an accident where he fell off. And instead of continuing forward, for some weird reason, the horse backed up and the whole chariot went across him and obviously injured him and crushed his heart. So they were like, these are all things that we never would have learned. Now, George and Howard took a picture of the chamber and there was all these little tiny black dots but they've gotten progressively worse because of people what what they're exhaling so So this chamber has gone yeah this chamber has gone thousands of years without having any issues 
Um, and they were like, oh, well, this is because of people. And then they were like, well, no, if you actually look back at Howard and George's photo, you can see that there's tiny little black dots that aren't in any of the other chambers. But it's again, because it wasn't a pharaoh's chamber, it wasn't sealed the way it was normally sealed. And it's just, it's crazy. And I, I know I'm going on about it a bit now. It was just something I was really fascinated mm. in. And I was just kind of like, we have to be so careful. So again, the same thing I said there in an episode or two ago, leave nothing but footprints, take nothing but pictures and spend nothing but time. Because if like I'll take you your black dots with you. Yeah, exactly. But like you were saying with that guy in the cave, don't be that guy. Don't no. be that guy. Have you any characters for me? Sorry, I'm so sorry. Stephen. With two guys, I think we need to consider, do we? Yes. So Howard and his financier, George. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask permission to do this. And you can tell me to go away. But I think <laughs> I want to play some cartoon characters. Okay. And you know who they are. No, I don't. We want to call Bandit. Yeah. For those of you who do not, do not know who this. Who doesn't know who Bandit is? Everybody who does not have children. <laughs> There's loads of my friends that do have, don't have kids. And they're like, yeah, I watch it with my uh, niece. Yeah. <laughs> like, that counts. So Bandit is uh, Bluey's father from an Australian TV program called Bluey. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant. And you should watch it. Um, but Bandit should be your main guy, Howard. Yes. And then your second guy. The financier. The financier is, do you remember an episode with Uncle Radley? No. Uncle Rad, he um comes to babysit and there's a mix up and he thinks, he thinks he's babysitting. And then another friend or cousin or auntie, Frisky, comes and is like, oh. <laughs> they do actually have very weird names. The yeah. man's name is Chili. Like. Yeah. Um, so Frisky... And Radley are like, oh, well, I babysit. If you're happy, babysit. And he's all like, oh, yeah, so how's your how's your boyfriend or whatever doing? And she's like, oh, I don't have a boyfriend and blah, 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 blah. And they end up getting together. I think they go away on holiday and they're like, they're video calling. And the kids oh. are like, oh, are you away? Oh, yeah, just on holiday. I vaguely remember and that. And like, is that Auntie Trixie in the background? And they're like, hey, yeah, Uncle Radley and Auntie Tr- Frisky are friends. Yeah. I think it is actually Auntie Frisky. Do you yeah. know what's No, it definitely though? is. I Googled it a second ago. I could watch Bluey from start to finish over and over and over again. Because when we first started to watch that, we were so sleep deprived. I don't think any of those episodes actually registered with me. So I watched them all. Okay, that's my two characters. Very good. Bandit and Uncle Radley. Bandit and Uncle Radley discover the caves. Oh, it'll be like Indiana Jones. Indiana oh. Bones, because they're two dogs. Oh my God! <laughs> Finish this episode before I say something. That's I stupid. have to say, right? And I know you're my husband, and I love you utterly. I really do. But Harrison Ford, back in the day, God, that man was a good-looking man. Ah, sure. Look, you wouldn't even kick him out of bed for no, you eating wouldn't. Christmas. And him and Sean Connery, I don't think I could watch that movie. They were both in. They weren't in the Temple of Doom. They were in. Whatever the other one is. I've never watched any of the Indiana Jones. I used it as um reference because it's the most manly thing. Well, that or well, Crocodile Dundee. If we're not doing Bandit and Uncle Radley, the most iconic Egyptian tomb warrior style thing ever, it has to be Brendan Fraser. Yeah, because that is like literally my favourite movie. Mm-hmm. If I'm ever really, really sad... And you see me watching that movie, you know I'm going to be okay. If I'm really sad and I'm not watching that movie, put it on and then I'm going to be okay. Uh, obviously, I did not fall down a rabbit hole this week because this whole episode completely consumed me. Um, I know I didn't put in as many history bits and facty bits, but I, it's not the kind of story that I could add in a little and then not add everything in. Um, but if you do get a chance to read up on it, the discovery of the tomb itself is absolutely fantastic. And 
Yeah, it's it's a really good story. There are a lot of facts that are a little misconstrued and the papers kind of ran away with that a little bit, but there's still some fairly suspicious stuff going on in there. But if you do get a minute just to read it or if you're if you're bored and you're wondering what I've been waffling on about for it's now forty minutes, I'll probably take it down to about twenty. But will we finish up there? Say words. Okay. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions on this or any other episode, our Instagram is what's the story ghost. Feel free to DM us there. If you have any personal stories you would like to share yourself, our email is what's the story ghost at gmail.com. And those are all my words. Exit jingle. Exit jingle. Mom! <laughs> We're not Mom. doing the whole song. Bye! Bye.